Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Steeler fans, welcome back to another episode of Steeler Stat Geek. This is the Steel Curtain Network's Dave Schofield coming at you Thursday morning. Ooh, we are getting uh, inching closer to the draft. We're almost a month away. Next Thursday is really when we can say we're a month away. Um, so we'll say five weeks. You know, well, that's a little bit more than around five weeks. Okay. I'll, I'll, I should look at the calendar before I kind of say these things. But, man, we're, we're rolling on. We've got free agency. We have new members of the Pittsburgh Steelers. We have retained members of the Pittsburgh Steelers. All that is great. Now, I could go over all who have they who have they signed, who have they lost, who have they done, all that other stuff. I'm going to do it in my way. I'm going to do it the geeky way, the stat geeky way. And that is this. It's time for an update. That means it's a compensatory draft pick update. So here we go. In case you don't remember, the compensatory uh, draft picks, they come about, it's basically a system based on lost free agents from the year before. So when I'm talking about the compensatory draft pick update, we're talking about what would be for next year's draft, the 2024. The 2023 was already set. Steelers didn't receive anybody because they lost more players than what they, what sorry, they gained more players than what they lost. I almost said that wrong. We could do a little quick review. They have to qualify as a compensatory agent. The Steelers only lost one qualifying member, and that was Juju Smith-Schuster. Ray Ray McLeod didn't even get up to where he qualified. 
But the Steelers gained James Daniels, Mitch Trubisky, Mason Cole, Levi Wallace. So therefore, they were not in the running. You have to have more losses than gains. So when I say we, we check this out, let's look at the losses, look at the gains. Just to remember, they have to be a qualifying compensatory free agent, which means their salary is going to have to fall in the top 35 of the NFL. But there's also other factors involved based on how much the player plays during the season, the number of snaps, if they win any awards, that that jacks up their value. In other words, if you lose a player that plays a lot and does very well and gets paid a lot, you're going to, to possibly get compensation for that player. But it has to happen by losing more players than what you gained. So when you look at it, like here, I'm real quick, just when I look at the list, all this is coming from overthecat.com. They do a fantastic job with this. Like the AFC East, there's only one team right now that has more losses than gains, and that's the Jets. They actually have, my goodness, they have four more losses than gains, but nothing above what is estimated right now to be a sixth-round value. Um, now, when it comes to the AFC North, it's a little bit different. The uh, The Bengals have ha- have a net loss of two right now. Um, the Ravens have a net loss of two because they haven't signed anybody. Okay, because you got to remember, signing your own players back doesn't count. Signing a street free agent doesn't count. So it's only un, um, I almost said undrafted, unrestricted free agents are the only ones that count. Um, towards this, their their salaries got to be high enough. So everything now is based off salary, but these things could 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 change, and. That's just kind of how it rolls, your losses versus your gains. Right now, the Steelers have three um, compensatory free agent losses, according to OverTheCat.com, that would that would come to, to that, with another one that they, that they have TBA because they don't have an exact salary yet. The three losses are Cam Sutton, Devin Bush, and Robert Spillane. Okay, Sutton they have as a fourth round loss, and then Bush and Spillane they have a seventh round. The rounds only matter if you if you have a net loss. If you have a net loss, if you if you don't have a net loss, then the rounds don't matter, um, because players just can't sue each other anyway. Uh, Malik Reed is the one that they have TBA because they don't have his exact contract in here. I don't know if it's going to be enough that would qualify as a compensatory free agent anyway. But the Steelers have signed five. So they have, they've lost three, signed five. The Steelers would have to sign nobody else that's an outside free agent um, that was unrestricted. And they would have to lose several more players in order for them to be in line for a compensatory draft pick. So who are the players that they've gained? Um, Isaac, Sayomalo, I think I'm getting better at saying his name without hesitating. Um, he would come in, as, uh, you know, he's got a fifth round value is what he's, he's listed at. Patrick Peterson also has a fifth round value. Cole Holcomb is a sixth round value. Nate Herbig is a, as a seventh round value and Alandon Roberts as a seventh round value. And where the value comes from right now is, um, a player's average salary per year. Like, for example, Isaac Sayomalo, um, it's his is considered eight million dollars. We don't know the breakdown of his salary yet to, to know for sure what's going to count against the cap, but it has been reported that it's a twenty-four million dollar salary for three years, which would be eight million dollars per year. So that's what the Steelers have gained. They've gained five. They've lost three, maybe four, and they could lose more. I'll also let you all know that I think it's the Monday after the draft. Um, compensatory free agents don't count anymore. So if, if you wait till after the draft long enough and then sign someone, not going to count.
not going to count. Um, players that come in under a veteran salary benefit contract don't count. Um, that's just how it is. But that's that's the way I thought that I would I, I would throw it out there. I will tell you there there's a the, the there are three. Um, no, I don't even think it's three. Sorry, there are there are two players right now um, that are estimated third round draft picks when it comes to. Oh, sorry, it is three. Sorry, I missed one. Um, that are estimated third round draft picks when it comes to compensatory picks. Now, it doesn't mean the teams will get a third round pick for them because, like I said, you got to have a net loss. But Javon Hargraves, one of them, based on his big old salary that that, that he got. So we'll we'll see. I mean, right now Philadelphia has lost. A lot. They have like, oh my goodness. I, I don't think you can have, I think there's a limit on how many compensatory picks you can get that aren't based on your uh, front office signing, um, that, which is a new thing that's been the last few years. Right now, they, they've lost nine. <laughs> they've lost nine and gained none. That's the Philadelphia Eagles right now. They've gained some players, but right now, like, there, the, the um, salary hasn't been reported. Like Greedy Williams, they don't have it um, as someone that they have that's picked up. So, yeah, they, they've really gone through it. But that's I just wanted to do that now just to throw a little update up there, geek style, to say, you know, this is what the Steelers have signed. Um, I'm excited about the season, but I'm, I'm ready to dive into questions. And you all stepped up. I got some questions. I am ready for more. STLR Superfan Dad, that's my Twitter handle. You STLR Superfan Dad at gmail.com. That's my email address. I got, I even put out a tweet asking for questions and I got some. I got an email that I'm going to answer questions from and I've got um, a couple tweets. I'm, I'm ready for more. So fire them away. I at least have one that I'm not answering this week, at least one. So, um, like I say, fire away, ready to go. So let's talk about what you all want to talk about. And this one is, this is a down and distance question. So here we go. This is from Paul. I'm going to mess up his last name. Paul Marlier. Or I don't know if it's Marlier or Marlier. Uh, I don't know if it's a silent R at the end. Um, he call, He's a self-proclaimed nerve steel. Um, so he said, here's my static geek question. This came via email. He says, I'm not going to read the whole email, just the, the question part. He said, what is the most common down and yards to go for each down? I assume first first and 10 is the answer for first down and assume that second must be around nine to seven to go. Um, third's around seven to four to go. And fourth, he has, says, I have no clue. Um, he was even looking on how to find that. Now, I didn't look at the number, you know, how many of each number per se. I mean, I could look at it at a range at, at, at what's the most but what I looked at instead was what is the average distance to go per down, both across the NFL and for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I did this all based on 2022 because this was a lot of numbers and that's the most recent. So that's what we're going with. So yes, Paul, you are correct. The most common first down, the average first down. So I don't want to say most common because this is the mean average, not necessarily the, the mode average, but I assume it's also the mode average as well, specifically for first down. Um, the average is is 10.0 yards. 10.0 yards across the NFL. And the Steelers average on first down to go. I did this from an offensive standpoint, not a defensive standpoint, meaning the Steelers had the ball and what what were they to go. They're also 10.0. Um, not every team was, but the Steelers were. Um, also, I threw some extra numbers in here. When it comes to first down, the Steelers, they get a, they, they 
achieve a first down on first down, they achieved it 17.8% of the time last year. So when the Steelers lined up first down, did they get another first down on that play? 17.8% of the time they did. That was ranked 23rd in the NFL. Um, I don't have the overall average because I would have had to add up every single team's across the board and divided them. And that was more, I I felt that just knowing the rank was good enough. (laughs) So that means that they're, they're not in the top half of the NFL with that. Um, And the Steelers also, they averaged 4.7 yards on first down last year. That ranked 30th in the NFL, 30th of yards gained on first down last year. Now, I, I know, especially early in the season, that, that that didn't surprise me. And that's what really got the Steelers going in the second part of the season is that they left themselves in second and manageable and third and manageable. And, we'll, you know, we'll get to those. But uh, this was for the whole season. But, man, they were they ranked 30th on your, in yards gained on first down. Yee. So there you go. NFL, going on to second down. The average distance, you were right in there, Paul. It was 7.8 yards, 7.8 yards to go on second down is the NFL average. And the Steelers, they averaged 7.7 yards to go on second down. Now on second down, they got first downs 31.4% of the time. It's okay. That's nice when you can get those because then you don't have to worry about your third down conversions because you're converting on second down. So Almost a third of the time, the Steelers um, got a first down on their second down play. Uh, That ranked 21st in the NFL, and they averaged 5.0 yards uh, on second down per play, and that ranked 26th in the NFL. Okay. Um, Steelers weren't looking so good, but it's also nice to know what it is for the whole league. Then we go to third down. Third down, 6.9 yards to go. On third down, so almost seven yards. So about so third and seven was about the average. Now the Steelers did a little bit better than that. They were their average was six point five. So you know that means between six and seven is, is what they're doing. Sometimes six, sometimes seven. If you wanted to look at what would be what you would assume to be the most common numbers, so six point five yards to go on third down. The Steelers converted on third down. of the time for the season. That was seventh in the NFL. They had the seventh best third down conversion. And I'm fairly certain that I've looked at this before. Over the second half of the season, they were first. They had the best third down conversion in the NFL. But to do that, you've got to have a lower to go yard, you know, number, yards to go. You got to have that. So, and on average, the Steelers gained 5.2 yards on third down. That is ranked 16th in the NFL, right smack dab in the middle. So, they, you know, that's where they are on third down. So, the Steelers noticed they got better on how many yards they gained per play, their ranking-wise, as they went along. And they got better um, in, in how they did in the NFL with their percentage of conversion. So, the Steelers, you know, they got to third down more than a lot of teams. Then we go to fourth down. Now, let's just look at all fourth downs first, okay? Because obviously there's going to be fourth downs where, they, where teams punt. There's going to be fourth downs where teams kick a field goal. And there's going to be fourth downs where teams go for it. So we're just looking at all of them right now. So you look at all of them, all the fourth downs. The average actually goes up to 7.6 yards to go on fourth down. So that means for the most part – 
teams that reached, teams that did not achieve a first down on third down were actually then further away. So uh, you can look at it and say, oh, does that mean they, in on average, lost yards on third down? No. But losing yards on third down is more common. That's more sacks happen on third down because that's when you can get into the, quote, obvious passing downs. So that's a little bit of it. But really what it is is probably the the, the short numbers for third downs were converted to first downs, so they never got the fourth downs. So you're dropping off the low numbers. But if someone's sitting there with a third and 16 and they gain – and, and and they gain five yards, you're sitting at fourth and 11. So those are the ones that stick around. So the ones on the higher end of the of to the yards to go are the ones that probably carried over into fourth down, hence why it went from 6.9 to 7.6. Now, the Steelers, they went from 6.5 to 7.4 last year, 7.4 yards to go on fourth down. But that's because they converted almost half their third downs. They converted over half their third downs in the second half of the season. So that's why that yardage is longer. It's because there it's it although some people are like, oh, the defense gives up third and long all the time. I've talked about that on here before. They know more than the rest of the NFL. Everyone gives up third and long. So you think if it's a Steelers problem? No, it's 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 just how the game works. But anyway, getting back to this. So the so the Steelers, they only converted on fourth down 8.8% of the time last season. That was 18th in the NFL. And they averaged 0.4 yards on fourth down, which was 24th in the NFL. But those can be deceiving because on most fourth downs, guess what? The Steelers aren't even trying to gain yards. They're trying to gain yards. So all this is coming from pro football reference from the data that I have from them. And I did sort out plays that were no plays. Like there was a penalty and they had to replay the play. I, I threw those out. Okay, so so even if you're like, oh, they could gain, they might have gained five yards on a penalty and still punted. No, they might have lost five yards on a penalty and still punted. No, didn't do that. Those plays are thrown out. So the Steelers gained that much. But I'm like, you know, let's not do it that way. Let's I mean, do it that way, but let's look at it a little bit more fun. And let's look on fourth downs where teams went for it. In other words, where teams did not punt and they did not kick a field goal. Now, maybe they... You know, I guess I'm pretty sure if they line up the punt, um, a pro football reference counts it as a punt, even if it, you know, if it's blocked. You know, if it's a fake, I'm not exactly sure what they do in there because um, they didn't punt it. But uh, if it's a blocked punt, I'm pretty sure they put that in the category of punt. So here we go. Let's look at this. For the NFL, I just took away the kicks. I took away the field goal attempts. I took away the punts and just looked at the other plays on fourth down. The average distance on those plays is 3.9 yards. 3.9 yards. So obviously that's that kind of goes more in line with what with the yardage from first to second to third. Um because obviously when you get when you get smaller, I mean sometimes you know teams will go for it at the end of the game even though if it's fourth and 15. You got no choice. You got no timeouts, you got to do something. Um so it's it's third and it's fourth and fourth and 3.9 is the average, which is exactly what the Steelers were at when they went for it. Their average was 3.9 yards. The Steelers, when they went for it, they achieved a first down 73.3% of the time on fourth down. That was third in the NFL, 73.3. They were 11 of 15 on fourth down. 
The only teams that they were behind was Kansas City, was 9 of 12 for 75%. And and the Los Angeles Rams were 15 of 19 for 78.9%, which I, I think is ironic that it's the Steelers are the only other team in the 70s along with the last two Super Bowl champions. So interesting to look at when going forward on fourth down. But part of that is because the Steelers don't go for it on fourth down unless it's short. Do you think, you know, you're like, oh, you know, teams like Philadelphia, they went for it all the time. Yeah, they did. They went for it a lot more. Actually, if if I look at the number of plays, were they first? No, they were fourth. The team that went for it on the fourth down the most was the Cleveland Browns. And they only got their first down 54.8% of the time. The next, the, the next most team was Arizona Cardinals, and they didn't even get a first down half the time. They were 43.9%. They were, they were uh, 18 of 41. Then it was Detroit with 37, and then Philly with 32. They, of those that went for it on fourth down the most, Philly by far had the best conversion rate of 68.8%. But they also had a much longer to go. Well, I mean, well, no, actually they didn't. Their, their yards to go was 3.3. Um, so theirs was actually shorter than the Steelers. So you think about, oh, Philly goes for it all the time on fourth down. Uh-uh, they go for it all, all the time on fourth down, but only when it's really short, okay? Kansas City's even shorter. Oh, they go for it. No, they don't. Kansas City goes for it on fourth down, fourth down less than the Steelers, only 12 times last year, and their average was 2.7 yards to go. That first down percentage is, is key there. You don't have to go for it a ton on fourth down, but when you do, you need to make it. So you need to have that high percentage. Um, so, I mean, what's crazy is you had the Rams at 78.9, the Chiefs at 75%, the Steelers at 73.3%. Then it was Philly at 68.8%. So that was out of the 70s. Then Philly was the only team in the 60s. You, the next best team, the fifth best team when it comes to fourth down conversion percentage. This last year was the Seattle Seahawks, and that was at 57.1%. So what the Steelers did this last year with uh, achieving on a fourth down was actually quite nice. So that hopefully that answered some questions about down or distance. Um, we're going to go ahead and take a break. I'm going to come back and answer a couple more questions. So stick around and we'll be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
All right, Pittsburgh Steelers fans, welcome back to Steeler Stat Geek. I've got a couple questions. These are not in the order I received them. There's one I'm definitely holding off on. It was a question about the two new linebackers that the Steelers had. Um, I talked about some of their stats last week, so that's why I thought, you know, to answer some specific stuff about them, I wanted to wait uh, another week in between since I had some other questions. So so the person that asked that, you can – yeah, that that should be coming here in the future. So that'll be at least another week. But here's one. This was from Doc N, which is Southside Doc um, on, on Twitter. Southside underscore Doc, I should say. He says, what numbers prove that the recent Lyman signings will be an improvement over what we had? How does depth improvement be quantified in statistics? I'm answering this one first because I'm going to answer this one non-statistically because the answer is you can't answer this statistically. I love doing stats and everything else, but they really don't tell you everything. All it is is a tool in breaking down maybe why, what, or how. You can say it's predictive. I try to look at stuff as predictive. Hey, the Steelers, they're, you know, they're struggling to run the ball when they're going up against one of the best run defenses in the NFL. You know, we talk about that every week throughout the season, things like that, because they're intriguing matchups. And you can look at, a, let's say, a player's production at one, for one team one year and see, oh, come in and what it's going to be. But there are so many other factors. You can't quantify it. Then add in the fact you're talking offensive line. And when it comes to offensive line, the only thing that you can – the only numbers really involved are snaps played, penalties, which is just a negative, a knock, and then – you could go with PFS scores because they're numbers. But you know what those are? Those those numbers aren't stats. They're opinions. Remember, they're opinions. Given someone a numerical score, it's only still based on an opinion of how someone thought they did each play. So that, to me, I, I look at them because it's numerical, and I think it can help take you know paint a picture, but it's still just someone else's opinion. It just happens to be a, an opinion of someone who looks at every, that player on every play they played. Um, but it's still... It's still subjective. It's not objective. So to answer your question, Doc, I love the question, but I also love being able to say that you can't prove that it's going to be an improvement because there are so many other things that factor in. Scheme fit, fit with their coach, fit with the players around them, injuries, right? Like right now, it's it's so easy to, to, to say that Isaac – Samualu, Samualo, okay, uh, Samualo, I think I'm getting it now, that he comes in with with very few penalties. He averages three penalties a year in his seven-year career. I talked about this in the Steelers Vertex that came out at BehindTheSteelCurtain.com on Wednesday. Yes, that website still exists. That that um, did Vertex with Jeffrey Benedict. He had some great film. I just threw those stats out there that his penalties were low. He hasn't had a holding penalty since 2020. Now, in 2021, he only played three games before he was lost for the season um, due to injury. But he played all 20 games last season. And I didn't – I should only count 17 because I was only looking at regular season penalties. But uh, to not have a hold called in two seasons, that's that's a nice thing to look at. But it really doesn't tell you more than everything else that's just going to be when they get out on the field and how they do stuff. So it's nice to look at it. It's exciting, but there's not really anything statistically to answer the question. So doc, great question. Love the question. And I hope you, I, I, and I'm, 
for all I know, you might have been searching for this answer. The answer is no, there's not. There's really not, as much as I wish there was. So here we go. Let's get into the other question that I have, because this one, this is one I could dive into a little bit more, but I, I don't necessarily have to. I could sit here and read tons and tons of numbers for forever, and I don't think that's going to be um, the most compelling Steeler Stat Geek episode ever, although I have done that at times, and hopefully my nerds of steel enjoy that. But this comes from MDibs24 on Twitter. He said, with a history of great running backs from Hall of Famers to fan favorites, who has been the most efficient back with their touches? Now, I specifically looked at the whole notion of touches, so therefore, I looked at both rushing and receiving, but I did not combine them. I just looked at them separately. So we're going to look at this as two different things, as the most efficient running backs for the Steelers when it comes to both rushing and receiving. Now, first thing I have to do is you got to filter it down because you know how many running backs the Steelers have had? My goodness. So I didn't even go for the merger. I went Super Bowl era. I went Super Bowl era, so that goes back to, what is it, 1966. So I went back Super Bowl era um, to at least dip back that far. Um, then the question is, what do you do with position? Because you can get a wide receiver that that has like two carries and and, and busts one of them for a 70-yard touchdown um, or, or, or things like that. Sometimes the wide receivers can throw, throw off – uh, things that are put in there. And this was specifically asked about running backs. So I filtered for running backs. These were just running backs, running backs, fullbacks. At, according to pro football reference, they have to be classified as a running back by pro football reference. Just got to throw that in there. Then it's about touches. You could have a running back that only had four touches and have a fantastic uh, average like what was his name? Jordan Todman. I think that had four carries for the for the Steelers, but he busted one of them for pretty long. Had a really big average. So the first thing I did is like, well, let's like let's make sure you have at least twenty carries. Now, when I did that, I got some people at the top of the list that that didn't quite have a lot of of rushing experience with the Steelers. I'll be honest with you. The top five of no one in the top five had more than 200 rushing attempts um, when it came to yards per attempt. And out of those, there was one person, it was Richard Huntley, had 194 attempts. He only started three games in his career um, from 98 to 2000 first in his career with the Steelers, because all this had to be with the Steelers. So, but he had a 5.3 yards per attempt average. So I'm like, this is nice. If you want to know number one on that list, Believe it or not, 1975, Mike Collier, 5.9 yards per attempt. He had uh, 124 yards on 21 attempts, three touchdowns, and that was in one season of, of, of rushing the football with the Steelers. Um, I've actually met Mike Collier before. My son's worn his Super Bowl ring. Um, and after he did, I told my son the next time he puts one of those on, he has to earn it. <laughs> but that was just anyway. Um, that so so that was fun. Uh, but if those top five were Mike Collier, Richard Huntley, Kareth White Jr., Jalen Warren, that's right, Jalen Warren, four point nine yards per attempt in twenty twenty two, and Jack Delaplane, which is from seventy six to seventy nine. They're they're the top five when I just did you had to have at least 20 attempts. 
that's pretty cool to then have Jalen Warren in there to kind of see where he's where he falls right now. He's got to keep that up over the course of his career. So then I'm like, you know, let's filter this down a little bit more. Let's really look at the guys that were the running backs. Because the more you run, the more it takes a lot to get those yards. You can find lightning in a bottle. That that big run could really affect your average when you don't have as many attempts. So I went ahead, set the number at 200 attempts with the Pittsburgh Steelers. 200 attempts. And what's crazy is the person that's first on this list had 251 attempts. And that person from 1988 to 1992 had 251 attempts, 17 games started, 1,191 yards on 251 attempts with a 4.7 yards per attempt average, eight touchdowns. Warren Williams was number one on the list of yards per attempt since in the Super Bowl era for the Steelers when it comes to running back, 4.7. Now let me give you some of the other ones. Number two, Le'Veon Bell at 4.3. Now, some of these I'm going to give you the same number, but they definitely are separated because when you when you look at the decimal places and don't round to the to the tens place, there would be a difference. So Le'Veon Bell was number two with 4.3. James Conner was third at 4.3. Barry Foster was fourth at 4.3. Willie Parker, fifth, 4.3. All these are 4.3, to tell you otherwise. Eric Pegram, sixth. Deuce Staley, seventh. At 4.3. Then the following players in this order were all at 4.2. But remember, this they, they're not tied, but but here's where they are. Eighth was Cindy Thornton. Ninth was Jonathan Dwyer. Tenth was John Fugua. Eleventh um, was D'Angelo Williams. Twelfth was Frank Pollard. Thirteenth, uh, Moeldy Moore. And fourteenth, Rocky Blyer. Now just to throw out some other numbers or players that might stick out. Franco Harris was 15th. This was out of a possible 31 because Franco, he had a 4.1 rushing rush, you know, yards per attempt average. He was 15th just ahead of Richard Mendenhall at six, 16th. Isaac Redman was 18th. Um, Tim Worley was 20th. Jerome Bettis, 22nd at 3.9. Um, Najee Harris, 25th at 3.9. As you go down, keep going. Benny Snell, 3.6. And um, he was 29th. So that's what they were when it comes to the most efficient when it came to rushing the ball. Now let's throw in looking at receiving. So you look at yards per rush. Then you look at yards per reception. And what is absolutely crazy is that the player that was dead last, 31st on this list when it came to rushing, was number one when it came to receiving. And it's probably not who you think of because it was from 1966 to 1968, Willie Asbury. Um, he had a 12.3 yards per reception catch rate. He had 25 receptions for 307 yards. Um, he was a fullback. So he had a very, very low um, yards per rush, had the highest yards per reception of any running back with it, and now notice I didn't I didn't filter by receptions. Although everyone did have at least twenty five receptions. Uh, wait, Deuce Staley didn't have twenty five receptions, believe it or not. Um, even though he's on there, and Benny Snell Jr. did not have twenty five receptions. Everybody else did. Um, so I probably would have thrown them out. But if you have that, he's the highest there. Next was Preston Pearson with eleven point six uh, yards per reception, and with rushing, he was at three point nine. That was from seventy to seventy four. Number three, this is interesting. Cindy Thornton, 
11.3 yards per reception to go along with 4.2 um, yards per rushing attempt. So th- to me, that's probably the best one between the two. Um, Rocky Blyer, he was up there pretty good. He was he was fifth in yards per reception at 9.5. Um, so he had 9.5 yards per, per reception of 4.2 yards per attempt rushing. So that was a that was some pretty decent efficiency. And he did that on 136 receptions. So I mean, so he had he he had a good bit of receptions thrown in there. Um, so what's interesting is then, you know, Warren Williams, who was the number one when it came to, to, to the rushing, um, yards per attempt, he was eighth in receiving yards per attempt at 8.9. But if you want to look at where some of these other players fell, Mendenhall was 12th with 8.6. Le'Veon Bell was 13th with 8.5. He was just ahead of Merrill Hodge, who was 14th. Um, some of these other ones that you might think of, James Conner was 23rd out of 31. Franco Harris was 25th. He was, he averaged 7.5 yards per reception. Um, and you know, and then when you go all the way down, Jerome Bettis was 30th, 6.4 yards per reception. The only one worse than him that qualified Najee Harris, 6.1 yards per reception. Um, 31st out of everyone on this list. So, uh, yeah, so Najee Harris isn't the most efficient with these things, but that's because the way the Steelers' offense was, especially last year, they didn't bust off big plays. They they didn't bust off big plays. They had to grind it out. So uh, hopefully that answers your question pretty well. I would say the the one that balanced the best to me is is Cindy Thornton because he was third in in yards per reception and he was eighth in in yards per attempt rushing. So that I thought I, th- I think that one was was probably uh, pretty good there. So yeah, um, interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. So uh, I love that question. That was a really good question. Um, that was a fun one to answer and look up those numbers. So I hope you enjoyed them. Whew. Speaking of which. Um, Man, I am one busy guy. We are we are now part of the Fans First Network, and it's going. It's going strong. We're working and getting everything moving on. Uh, Steel Curtain Network being a part of it, we're just up and running. We're going, and that's just one of those things. The biggest thing is, you know, we keep having more networks that are joining in. Um, really good stuff. So, it, uh, it the work is is really fun and really good to pay off. Um, but the most important thing is we're here with your Pittsburgh Steelers podcasts. Hey, and if you're fans of other sports and other teams, we're hoping to have those teams covered. If you're ever say, oh, you know what, I want to, I, I want to check out a an Ohio State podcast. Now I know some of you are like, oh, Ohio State. Some of you might be, yeah, do you Ohio State? It really, it really depends. Uh, Mike Tomlin and Omar Khan on Wednesday. We're at the pro day there, um, and, and everything. So if you want to check that out, we've got. We've got a great Ohio State podcast. We've got some really good college podcasts uh, to come out there. And we're, and we're working on filling out all the rest of the professional sports. So if you're interested in anything else, check that out. But most importantly, if you're listening to this, I hope you're checking out all the podcasts at Steel Curtain Network. We've just got all kinds of stuff. As I say, something for everybody. Um, bringing in Jim Wexel's show was really you know added to the network. Uh, you got Jeff Hartman's Let's Ride in the morning on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Jeffrey Benedict had a great cutting room floor on Tuesday. Um, the noon lineup. You got what Yin's talking about coming out at, coming up after me. 
Um, the Hangover, we've had a little bit of a shift in, in who's doing that. Daniel J and Shannon White, great stuff. Great stuff. If you haven't checked that out before, check that out. And uh, just all, all across the network, good stuff with the Steelers Fix, all our live YouTube shows, our weekend stuff with Daniel J show on Saturday. The homies, they go live on Friday night. There's, their audio comes out Saturday morning. They're a lot of fun to listen to. Um, Dad and I doing doing the week that was on Sunday. That's just kind of a fun time. Him and I reviewing stuff, um, and, and it's a really good time uh, doing that as well. So, and and then you get the Q and A with with Kyle Kreis. Um, But you know, curtain call, Scobro, all the all the good stuff. I know I know I probably, I'm probably missing something. Um, bad language. I didn't say anything about bad language. Um, and, and then one of my f- absolute favorites is here we go. The Steelers show. I think, I think in every podcast this time, we, we have all kinds of good stuff for you to take in. And if you haven't checked something out, just seriously, just try it, check it out. Um, it, it, you might say, Oh, I only like, I'm only here cause I'm a nerd steel. I'm, I, I'm here for the, for the stat geek. You might find that you like the other stuff better than mine. And that's okay. That's what we're trying to, to bring to you all. But, uh, it's exciting. The Steelers have new players. When I talk to you next week, they might have more new players. They might have some of their old players back. There might be something that completely shakes up everything by that time. We just don't know. But we're going to keep bringing it to you. We're leading up to the draft. I like how, you know, free agency kind of shapes what, what the Steelers might be able to do in the draft. I love it when they can shape it up, that they're really doing stuff that, hey, if it works for this year, great. If not, building for the future is what we got. And hopefully that's what's going on. So whew, it was a fun show. Thanks for being here. And as I always say to finish it out, thanks for geeking out. 